For the past two weeks, though, Pastor Charlie's been sharing about being husbands, being wives, and what Scripture has to say about husbands and wives. Now, after two sermons of that, all of you have that conquered, right? Everything's going good? Yeah, I didn't think so. Okay, we still have a little more work to do, don't we? But if, if we taught on marriage until we all got it right, we wouldn't be teaching on anything else because we all still need help. Well, today's subject is rather similar. It's parenting. Now, we need help. All, in fact, experts, Christian and non-Christian experts will agree. You read articles about parenting, and they all say the problem in America, and I would submit the world, is that the home is breaking down. It's being destroyed. It is rather dysfunctional speaking across our whole nation. I don't know if you've noticed, but I dare say you have. Parents and children sometimes have conflict. I know that's probably a surprise, but parents and children have conflict. Have you also noticed when you buy, say, a car, you got an owner's manual, right? You open the glove box, there's an owner's manual. When you buy new electronics, you get an owner's manual. When you buy a weed eater, for heaven's sakes, you get an instruction manual that tells you how to operate the thing and reload the string and all of that. But as parents, did you notice or do you remember when you left the hospital with that new baby, did they give you an owner's manual? No. The good news is this. Even if the hospital didn't, we have one. God's Word. And that's what we're going to look at today. Hey, parenting is tough work. It's not for the faint of heart. And so we'll look at it today. We're going to look at it from the children's side and from the uh, parents' side. But uh, I've, I've become much more aware of this over the last few years dealing with our life group leaders mentoring life group leaders and encouraging them. And before Pastor Corey came to do life groups, then that was my responsibility. So I related to those life group leaders on a regular basis. And I discovered they're always talking about children and what to do with children. And got this, the senior adults whose children are long gone and who have grandkids, maybe even great-grandchildren, They're still talking about parenting. Why? They're still trying to help their children and grandchildren through all their problems. And I've discovered also, even the young single groups, not the single adult parent groups, but the young singles who are not parents, those groups are talking about children and parenting. Why? They're trying to get straightened out from all the messes their parents made in their lives. They're trying to figure out why their parents are so messed up. Parenting and children is a hot topic. It's one that touches us every day of our lives. Okay, just to establish who who needs this sermon today, okay? How many of you are parents? Raise your hand, please. Okay, hands down. How many of you have or have had parents? (laughs) There's some liars in the back. (laughs) I'm not raising my hand for anything. He might make me volunteer and come down front. Nobody has to come up on the platform. Now, how many of you as parents would say, I made a couple of mistakes in my years of parenting? Yes. All of us. I'm the first to raise my hand. So, we all need what Scripture teaches about parenting. 
Uh, Pastor Charlie's been in Ephesians chapter 5. We move on into Ephesians chapter 6 today. If you have a Bible, I would love for you to turn to Ephesians chapter 6 in the New Testament. Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, when you get in there, just kind of search back and forth or use table of contents, whatever it takes. Ephesians chapter 6. And the Apostle Paul is writing under the direction of God's Holy Spirit. And he's writing to families. He just finished addressing husbands and wives, and the Holy Spirit directs him that he needs to speak to children and parents. And in doing that, he writes first to the children. Don't know for sure why he's choosing to write to children before he writes to parents, but that's the way we'll look at it today, just the way the Apostle Paul wrote it and laid it out for us. Read with me Ephesians chapter 6. We're going to read three sentences, four verses in that passage, and it's chock full of stuff where we can take little side trips and find out things we need to know as children and as parents. So read along with me or follow as I read. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and your mother. This is the first commandment with a promise. It's right out of the Ten Commandments in the book of Exodus. And so he's going to give you the promise here that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Children, do you want want to help your parents become better parents? Uh, No hand raising now, okay? because they may be close by and can look. But hey, I, I think if you apply, I know, if you apply what this passage teaches today, you can actually help your parents become better parents. You never thought that was possible, but I'll guarantee that it is. After all, you're stuck with your parents, right? Uh, you didn't get to choose them. They just showed up in your life somehow. There is not a Uh, A new parent store, like the you go to the Ford store or the Chevy store or the Honda store, you can't go and say, hey, I have the old model and it's wearing out. It has too many miles on it. I would like to trade it in for that model right there. And if there were that kind of store, here's what I suspect. A really good set of parents would cost so much difference you know, the trade difference between what you got for trade-in for your existing parents and what a good model looks like, you couldn't afford it. Parents didn't think that was very funny. (laughs) Hey, I'm putting myself in that category. But you can't trade them in. You're stuck. So what do you do? Now, I'm speaking to the children first, and then we're going to come to the parents a little later. And remember, we're just talking about what God's Word says. And I do have a warning for you. God's word doesn't speak to us the same way most of the rest of the world speaks to us. I was reading and doing some research the last couple of weeks before this sermon, and I discovered there's a lot of material about children's rights. I went back and read the United Nations material on children's rights, printed it all off, read it, and I understand what they're getting at, and I, and I endorse that but I didn't find any material on children's responsibilities. And I read God's word, and for every one of us, remember, we're speaking often when we're speaking about parents and children, we are mirroring what God wants, the relationship between his children, those who are born again, and himself to be. 
So the Bible doesn't say a whole lot about our rights. It's a real challenge to find rights. Here's why. We give those up when we come to Jesus Christ. He becomes our Lord. He takes care of those things. And then it becomes our responsibility to trust him enough that we'll obey him. And so today, the warning is, we're going to find out a lot about our responsibilities and very little about rights. That's why I say it. The world is usually exactly opposite of what God's word is. And I think we just stumbled onto why we have so many struggles in our families is we are guilty, beginning with me, of listening a little, of maybe far too much to the world and not enough to God's word. So, uh, and by the way, speaking of rights and responsibilities, have you ever worked with someone who was always demanding their rights? No fun. The best thing you can do is apply for a transfer out of that department and get away from the person. But have you ever worked with somebody who was very serious about their resp- fulfilling their responsibilities? I want to stay in that department. I want to work with that person. Okay, responsibilities and rights. Now let's jump in the deep end of the pool, speak with children first. I realize there aren't a lot of elementary school, middle school, senior high students in here as, as compared to all the adults. But we need these principles as 25, 30, 40, 50, 60, 70, 80-year-old adults because we're still learning these principles in in our relationship with God and we still need to understand some of these principles as we raise children and grandchildren. Listen, it's all of life that we need to know, our whole life we need to know these principles. So to the children first, when our parents discipline us, it shows their love for God. A lot of blanks to fill in today, but we will get done I promise you, and it won't be uh, late afternoon before we get done. We'll be done. It shows their love for God. Verse 4 says it this way. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Those three little words are rather significant. It shows they understand that this discipline and instruction is of the Lord. They love God enough that they'll put up with your whining and moaning when they discipline you and you don't like it because they believe God gave them a stewardship of raising children and they would rather have you a little upset for a while than to disobey God. That means they love God supremely. Second, it shows their love for us when they discipline us. When the parents discipline us, it says, I love you. Teenagers, if your parents didn't care at all about you, they would give you the keys, give you an unlimited supply of cash, and say, whatever you want. Now, I know some of you are saying, I want that set of parents, but I'm telling you, you don't. Not really. Because some of the most miserable adults I know are adults who, during their younger years, had no boundaries. They were just free to do whatever they pleased, and there was no safety, no cautionary boundaries around their lives. See, when your parents get involved, correct you, they're showing their love for you. Hey, parents, you know it's not easy to stay the course and discipline children. There are many times 
when they're upset that you want them to do this and you know why you want them to do this because you're protecting them from something later in life, it would just sometimes be easier to say, you know what, just go to the other room and do whatever you want and I'll lead my married little life over here and you lead your life over there. But that's not how it is. It's easier in the short run but not in the long run. Proverbs 13, 24 says this, whoever spares the rod hates his son, but he who loves him is diligent to discipline him. Parents who love their children will put penalties in place and consequences in place. I'm not talking about harsh. I'm just talking about consequences when children get outside the boundaries and break the rules. Hey, That's the way God treats us. He loves us so much that he puts consequences. In the book of Revelation, there's a little phrase I want to pull out of something God is saying to his people. He said, those whom I love, I reprove and discipline. One of the ways we know that we are God's children is that he disciplines us. He convicts us. He corrects us. He puts us back on the right path. Why? Because he loves us. And by the way, he knows absolute best for us. So, children, the discipline reveals your parents' love for you. You want to know if they love you? Check and see if they correct you. Now, I know some of you are saying, hey, I could do with a little bit less love. But that's not the case. I would rather be loved too much than to be ignored. Another thing it does when parents discipline us, it empowers us to have healthy relationships in the future. Proverbs 15, 32 says, Whoever ignores instruction despises himself, but he who listens to reproof gains intelligence. You ever been around a person who despised themselves? They ignored instruction, and they didn't even enjoy being around themselves? It's impossible to have a healthy relationship with that person because they're not a healthy person. Proverbs 15.10 says this, there is severe discipline for the one who forsakes the way. Whoever hates reproof will die. God's teaching us in his scripture, it's much better to get disciplined in the home under the protection of parents rather than later in life. See, if you don't respond to father's and mother's correction and discipline, it will keep coming around again and again and again. And when it comes around each time, it's a little more severe. That's what that verse said. Severe discipline for the one who forsakes the way, forsakes the way. No fun. And it's not because God gets more and more angry with you. It's simply the consequences of more and more disobedience. When we get more and more out of line, more and more consequences come into our lives. If we don't learn obedience in the home, then what will happen as we grow older is we can, it can cost us our marriage. It can cost us our job. It can cost us other significant relationships. It can cost us time in the court system or in prison. Listen, you will come to have great discomfort in your life, great pain in your life, if you have to learn from the severe discipline instead of loving discipline where there are parents. Now, I understand as I'm talking that there are people who have to put up with severe discipline unjustly in a home. I understand that. We'll speak to that just a little bit. 
Um, I'm not addressing that directly today, but I'm speaking to those who are working to have a God-honoring, healthy, loving home, okay? So I'm, I don't think I'm ignorant of the fact that that kind of discipline happens. But it's God's plan for you to learn discipline in your home from your parents um, rather than later in life when it can affect you harshly. Hebrews 12, 11 has a great uh, statement that really has impacted me over the years as a, as a father and a parent. No discipline seems pleasant at the time. Oh, by the way, and as a Christian, I've never had a time when I was disciplined and I said, oh, this is fun. I, I don't recall a single time. I agree with this verse. It doesn't seem pleasant, but painful. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. Another verse in Proverbs 13 says this, He who ignores discipline comes to poverty and shame, but whoever heeds correction is honored. Did you catch what those two scriptures are teaching? If you respond to your parents correctly now, children... You can have a harvest of righteousness and peace. Now, that may just seem like a a bunch of big words. But I'm telling you, you want righteousness and peace in your lives because that's a right relationship with God, a right relationship with every other person. You want that. And the other thing that Proverbs promises is you can be honored and be successful in your life, not just while you're in the home, but when you leave the home. That's why... You're supposed to respond appropriately to your parents' teaching and discipline. Now, let's look at what happens when we obey our parents as children, okay? When we obey our parents, you can guess these first two. It mirrors the first two of the other, but it shows our love for God. Not only shows their love for God when they discipline appropriately, but it shows our love when we respond appropriately. In the first verse I read earlier in Ephesians 6, it says, Children, obey your parents in the Lord. In the Lord. It refers to pleasing the Lord. And remember, we have that parallel of our parents and children relationship and then God and his born-again children. John 14, 21 gives us a picture of that. Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he is the one who loves me. We demonstrate our love by our obedience. Colossians 3, 20, speaking again to children and parents. Children, obey your parents in everything. In what? Everything. That pretty much means what? Yes. For this pleases the Lord. In the Lord. It shows our love for God. Then it shows our love for our parents. You can say you love your parents, but hey, if there's never obedience or if there's a pattern of disobedience, you are not believable. You're not credible. They really won't believe you love them if you're just saying it, but you're never obeying them. Just like the verse I read in John 14 that God says about a relationship with him. Jesus modeled this, by the way. He was God. He didn't have to do any of the things we do necessarily, but he chose to, to demonstrate it for us. In Luke 2.51, it says this, And he went down with them and came to Nazareth, where they lived, and was submissive to them. What a great picture of a God who came down to be 100% God, 100% man, and he was submissive to his parents. Another thing it does when 
when we obey. It reveals our intelligence. Proverbs 12.1, I love this verse. Uh, I, I like it when it's, I can apply it to other people. I don't like it when it's applied to me. Whoever loves discipline loves knowledge, but he who hates reproof is stupid. I went back and looked. I thought, surely the Bible didn't use that word. I think in some of the other translations it says a fool, so it doesn't use a, a, an easy, lightweight word. Uh, Proverbs 15, 32 says, Whoever ignores instruction despises himself, but he who listens to reproof gains intelligence. The word discipline in that first uh, verse I read, Proverbs 12, is not the picture of a, a high school athlete who doesn't obey their parents, who hates correction, but he, has the, he or she has the self-discipline to go out and work out and become a really good athlete. Not that kind of discipline at all. It's speaking about the spoken discipline from someone else being spoken into your life. So it says, whoever loves discipline, whoever loves the fact that someone else cares about them enough to speak into their lives, loves knowledge. It declares that we're wise and it declares that we're pretty unwise when we don't listen um, you know, when we say, and I remember a little bit of this, even though it's been a hundred years ago that I was a teenager, I can't wait to get out of here. I won't have to listen to them. I won't have to do what they tell me. I won't have to abide by their stupid rules. Now, no hand raising, but a lot of us said those kinds of things, didn't we? I'm telling you, children, if you will be smarter than the rest of us adults, you'll have a much more blessed life. If you think you'll get out of here and you won't have to listen to other people, I have news for you. You'll always have to listen to other people. A teacher will be telling you what to do. A police officer will be telling you how fast you can drive. A boss will be telling you when to come to work and how to work and how much work they need. I'll never forget years ago, as a youth pastor, I had this one teenager in the youth group, and he thought his dad was an absolute moron, wouldn't listen to anything his dad said. He thought his mom was a little bit sharper than that, but wouldn't do anything she said either. Uh, he was a royal pain for all of his teachers because they didn't know anything in his mind. And he came to youth group, none of our youth leaders, nor myself as a youth pastor knew anything about how a youth group should be run when he managed to barely squeak his way out of high school he decided he was tired of people telling him what to do guess what he did did anybody say join the army I thought I heard that that's exactly what he did I cracked up I, I, if he had listened to anybody I could have told him not only would they be telling him what to do they would be telling him when to do it, where to do it, how to do it, how long to do it, and to not stop doing it until they told him when to do it. <laughs> Guess what? He didn't last in the army. <laughs> Surprise. See, people say, I'm going to run my own company and I won't have to have a boss. When you run your own company, hey, those of you business owners know, every person who walks in your door as a customer is your boss. They're telling you what to do if you want to keep a business alive. So, you can't go through life and say, I don't need anyone. The home is to teach you how to respond 
to authority. And when you do that, it shows your intelligence. The next one, it keeps us from unnecessary pain. Now, I'm like the rest of you. I don't like pain. I may have a stronger aversion to pain than most of you, especially those of you who are like bodybuilders. You know, your, your mantra is no pain, no gain. Mine is no pain, no pain. If I don't have to have pain, I don't want pain. And most of you are like that. I, I know that's human nature. But obeying your parents can keep you from unnecessary pain. Proverbs 29.1 says this, He who is often reproved yet stiffens his neck, in other words, resist that, will suddenly be broken, get these two words, beyond healing. Now listen, that's a serious break. If you have a break in your bone that's broken beyond healing, that is not fun. But if we will heed correction, then we won't be broken beyond healing. You know, I think the greatest picture in teenagerhood and childhood of that kind of stiffening is when parents are speaking, and hey, kids, you've had this happen, and most of you, most of us have done this. We just kind of fold our arms, and we quit talking, and we give them the blank stare like, you know, if you remember the Charlie Brown stuff, the teachers were always like, wonk, 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 and we just go into that mode where whatever they're saying, it can just go blah, 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 and when they're done, then we're going to go on and do what we're going to do. If you will break out of that mode and not let Satan, the enemy, talk you into that mode, and you will have conversation you will own your actions. You will engage with your parents and have a real, mature, intelligent conversation, a grace-filled conversation. Then you can avoid the unnecessary pain. Most parents I know would die to have children who would engage in a loving, grace-filled conversation even if there's disagreement and talk through something. Hey, avoid unnecessary pain. Try obedience, okay? Now, it helps us get along in the families. Another thing it does when we obey parents. The Bible says in Proverbs 29, discipline your son, and he will give you peace. He will bring delight to your soul. Now, the writer of this proverb is describing a peace-filled family. Here the, here's the main ingredient of a peace-filled family. If the son, in this case, receives discipline graciously from the parents, the Bible says there's peace, and that son will actually bring delight. Now, some of you children may be far enough along this road that you're not really interested in bringing delight to your parents, but hey, what comes around goes around, or goes around comes around, whichever way you say that. If you bring delight to your parents' life, guess what? It comes back in your life. And so, imagine with me, 15, 20 years from now, you look back, you're starting to raise your children, and you're able to tell them stories about how, or your parents are able to tell them stories about how you brought great delight to them. Now, how cool would that be if you're sitting there while your children are getting to be 7, 8, 9, 10 years old, and grandpa and grandma 
are extolling the virtues of what a wonderful child you were. I don't know. I'm just saying it could happen. All right. It helps us get along with everybody else also. When we, when we obey our parents, it helps us get along with everybody. You see, the Christian family is a laboratory experience for all of life. If you get along with people in your family, I'll give you nine chances out of ten at least, you get along with other people much better than if you don't get along in your family. And finally, when we obey our parents, it gives us something to share with our children. I referred to that just a moment ago. Now, some of you, they're like, hey, well, that's a scary thought. I don't even want to think about children. But it'll happen. It happens to the best of us. So if you obey your parents, you can experience God's blessing. Then when you begin sharing with your children, you have real-life stories instead of fictional stories to tell them about what it's like to obey parents. You have real-life stuff. Deuteronomy 6 speaks to this. God's speaking to the Israelites, and he's telling them how to teach their children the important stuff. He says, these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. So it's internal for the parents. You shall teach them diligently to your children. Talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, when you rise. That's pretty much all the time. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand. They shall be as frontlets between your eyes and write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. Hey, that's everywhere. There are reminders. Teaching your children, and I'm still speaking to children here, teaching your children about the blessing of obedience should permeate everything you do. And I'm also speaking to moms and dads. If you have positive stories about your parents and your relationship, then you have something to give them. Start building those positive stories today. Now, let me wind up the last few minutes talking to parents, okay? The last sentence of this speaks to parents. Verse 4 says, Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Now, let's clarify some words here. First of all, the word fathers, it's not just speaking to dads. In the original language of the New Testament in Greek, that word is generally accepted to be an inclusive word of parents. So it's not just dads. Moms are not off the hook on this one, but it's speaking to all parents. So here, and he says, there, there are some things you should not do, and there are some things you should do. And so we're going to look at, in that one little sentence, what he says we shouldn't do, and then what we should what we shouldn't do, the first thing he says, and the only thing he really says don't do, is don't provoke your children to anger. Now, this isn't describing the parent who gets, uh, gets upset and says one, a hurtful thing to their child on occasion when they're just kind of pushed over the edge. That's not what it's talking about. This is not describing the parent who means well but does one thing that causes their child to get angry. And it also is not talking about the, the parent who corrects the child rightly so, with grace, and the child gets angry because they just didn't want to be corrected. So parents, don't think, oh, if I do that, and little Billy or Susie or whoever gets upset, then I'm provoking my child to anger. Not what it means at all. Let me read from a, a, one of the commentaries that I, that I read as I was studying this passage. To provoke to anger suggests a repeated ongoing pattern of treatment that gradually builds up a deep-seated anger and resentment that boils over in outward hostility. Let me read it one more time. It suggests a repeated, ongoing pattern 
of treatment that gradually builds up a deep-seated anger and resentment that boils over in outward hostility. Now, that treatment often, usually, is not intended to create harm for the child. I understand there are parents who are dysfunctional within themselves enough that they do things to hurt children. Uh, They need healing. They need intervention. They need help. That's not what or who I'm addressing here. I'm addressing parents who are well-meaning and who just do things that provoke their children to anger. That can be every one of us, any one of us. But I want to qualify, I want to give you some examples so you understand. So we're not just saying, hey, you could do that. And you walk away from here saying, well, what in the world would that be? I mean, I might cross the line at any time here and I'm in danger of doing something to my child. Let me give you nine things quickly. I'll unload them. You get those pens ready and fill in those blanks. You need to know these. First, overprotection. Now, some of the moms here, when they were going sending kids off to children's camp last year, I remember them saying, oh, now how far it is it to camp? You know, we're helicopter moms. We have this helicopter mom support group while you're gone and things. I'm not talking about those moms who are just genuinely concerned about the children. I'm talking about people who truly do not allow their children to do anything, smother them, they over-restrict them. Listen, that causes great resentment in our children. We think we're helping them and we're over-protecting them. Second thing, favoritism. Favoritism not only harms the child who is the less favored, favoritism harms the child who is the more favored. It can cause the, the child who's less favored to become withdrawn and bitter, the one who is more favored to become superior cocky, smart aleck, all those things we hate to be around. Favoritism just provokes children to anger over time. High pressure to achieve. Now, one, one family last night, a teenager sitting here in the worship, you know, caught me afterward and they said, boy, our son was poking us in the ribs on that one because we're always pushing him to do as well as he possibly can. That's not what I'm talking about. Every one of us needs to be nudged to do as well as we possibly can in every arena of life. But I'm talking about a high pressure to achieve that creates this atmosphere in your home where it's performance-based acceptance. And when we don't perform, we don't get the acceptance. Instead of us in our homes uh, living by a grace-based acceptance, God gave you to me as a child. I love you. Summer and I have told our boys many times, I'm not saying we lived up to this 100%, but it was our Watchword. It was our mantra, so to speak. And we told them this over and over so we would have to live up to this. You will not do anything that makes us love you more or less. We are striving our very best to allow Jesus Christ to love you through us. And our love will stay constant. Your consequences from obedience or disobedience may fluctuate. But our love for you will not change. That's a grace-based family when our acceptance changes based on that day's performance, that's too high a pressure to achieve. Hey, don't live out your dreams that you couldn't make to be an NFL quarterback or whatever through your children and push and push and push, and they don't want to be a quarterback at all. I see this in parents over and over and over. It will cause anger, depression, or sometimes it causes that child to become a perfectionist that nobody can stand to be around. 
And we can do that to our children. It provokes them to anger. Next, discouragement. Always telling them what's wrong. Never telling them what's right. Never encouraging them. And it becomes, again, kind of a performance-based, but discouraging them. Making them feel unwanted. You're an intrusion on my time. Or subtly communicating that even. Um, Or they're in your way. Or they interfere with your plans. The child will become resentful. And guess what? They will live out what you've done. And there will come the time, parents, when they will decide you are an intrusion on their plans and their life. And then the shoe's on the other foot. Not letting them grow up at a normal pace. Uh, You can hurry up children too much, but probably more often in the younger years, we try to keep them babies. And we just don't encourage them along the way God would have them grow and mature. Using love as a reward or punishment. What's that about number seven? Giving love with good behavior and withholding it with bad behavior. What does this do? It communicates that God loves in the same way, I believe. We, we communicate to our children how God loves and cares for us. And so, if we communicate, hey, you were bad, God hates you for that, or God doesn't love you, no, no, no. God may not approve of that behavior, but it doesn't change his love, and it shouldn't change our love. We don't use love as reward or punishment because it helps them to misunderstand God's love. Physical or verbal abuse. Listen, both of these are just absolutely wrong. Physical discipline. It's not a matter of you exerting superior strength or authority. It's a matter of correcting in love. Harsh words, sarcasm, those those don't have a place in our families. They can hurt as deeply as a physical wound. In fact, last much longer and go much deeper. That'll drive children away. And you know what is so sad? They don't just recover when they leave the home. Most children tend to repeat this in their family. So let's break the cycle. The last one, permissiveness. Just letting them do whatever they want. Uh, I, know some, I know parents who say, it's, it's just been so hard and they're so, they're, they are so far out of bounds that if I pull in the boundaries now, I'll lose them. I would submit nothing is further from the truth because you don't have them now. And if we don't give our children boundaries, they don't have the safety of knowing that our love is there to keep them in boundaries to protect them. Well, those are some of the should nots. I wanted to give you some, some answers for that. What does it mean to provoke to anger? I don't think those are the only things, but I think that's a pretty good starting list, okay? Now, what the Bible says you should do, it says you should nurture your children. In that, in that verse, it says, bring them up. That, the idea is like a garden. If you just throw some seeds out in your backyard and sit there on your patio and have a Coke and expect a beautiful garden to appear, it, it won't happen. But if you till that land and you tend it and you nurture it and you fertilize it and you weed it then you have, and water it, then you have a chance of having a nice garden. So it is with children. That's what he means by bring them up, nurture them. You're not powerless. You don't have to sit idly by on the deck and expect obedience to show up. Guess what? 
It never will if you approach it that way. But God calls us into accountability to nurture our children. This verse gives us two simple instructions. It says, Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up, that's the nurture, in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Two words, discipline, instruction. Fill in those last two blanks, discipline, instruction. Discipline is this. It comes from the word disciple. Pastor Charlie was preaching on becoming a disciple several weeks back. He said it's not so much what you do. It's not so much what you believe. It's who you follow. So the picture here is of firm but grace-filled training that has consequences for disobedience, reading from a definition of, of this word. So it's action. It's training we give them by our actions. We live in such a way our children can follow us. And then we're to nurture our children with instruction. Instruction is training by word. The discipline is training by action. We interact in our child's lives. The word, it's not only modeling, but it's speaking into our children's life, a life-giving truth. Not just giving them boring facts, but giving them principles, giving them attitudes where they can live a blessed life. And then finally, notice that training by action and training by word is to be of the Lord. The last three words there, of the Lord. This is not our discipline. It's God's discipline we're placing in their lives. We're helping them with. And the only way I can know God's discipline instead of just something that I think at the moment is to be in his word. The way we suggest strongly here at Fellowship of the Rockies is life journaling. We go through the scripture together in a year. Life journaling. Feed yourself truth. Pray regularly. Be in community with other believers. Hey, we all need others to encourage us in this thing of parenting. And the way we do that here at Fellowship of the Rockies is life groups. You can go online and, and uh, find out how to hook up with a life group. Send Corey an application and he'll help you get in a life group. You are not on your own. God didn't design this for us to do on our own. The Holy Spirit of God lives in those of us who have given our life to Jesus Christ. We have help. So, in conclusion, children, you have a lot of work to do if you're going to have better parents, right? Parents, you have a lot of work to do if you're going to have better children. I challenge you, if you will put the things to work I've just talked about, not because I've come up with some magic formula. We're just digging into God's Word and finding out what He teaches that is diametrically opposed, the opposite of much of what the world says to us. If we'll do that, we will see a difference. I challenge you. If you'll do that, parents, if you'll do that, children, three months, I dare you to come back to me and say, I did that every day for three months and it got worse. Here's how I know it'll work. First, it's God's Word. Second, when I do those kinds of things, it changes me. It changes my love for the Lord, and it will change my love for parents or children, and it will make a difference in me, and there will be a difference in the relationship. So, take that list of things that's wrong with your family. Write it out, and then I challenge you, before you start this three, uh, a three-month kind of thing to see if what I said today is bogus or not. Right across it, 
this is possible with God. I guarantee it is. Here's the picture I long desperately to see. In the city of Pueblo, county of Pueblo, surrounding area, what if the families of Fellowship of the Rockies were radically, drastically different than anywhere in this city? We couldn't hold the people in four services. We couldn't hold the people in ten services. God began the family in the Garden of Eden. The family predated the church. It's the primary unit to show God's love. And if we really begin to show God's love, God will use us to make a huge difference in hundreds and thousands of lives in this city. Not to mention the radical difference in the love and enjoyment and harvest of righteousness and peace that will be in our own families.